0: Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy.
1: I think it's not rare these days for members of the public and for major stakeholders and local political leaders to realize that there are issues that the police are not the best response for.
0: I'm your host, Alan Weil. With the nation focused on violent interactions between civilians and police, One important topic is how we as a society respond to people experiencing mental health crises. A typical response is for a 911 dispatcher to send the police. But the vast majority of police officers have little or no training for how to handle these situations. And people with serious mental health disorders are at elevated risk of being killed in confrontations with the police. About 30 years ago, a small group of people in Eugene, Oregon, created an alternative for people in crisis, sending a trained mental health worker and an EMT instead of the police. Their program is called CAHOOTS, which stands for Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets, and it's become a model for similar efforts around the country. Diverting people in crisis from a police response to a system designed around mental health needs is the topic of today's health policy. I'm speaking with David Zeiss, co-founder of Cahoots. A June 2021 health affairs article by Rob Waters, as part of our Leading to Health series, funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, describes the program and others similar to it. Eugene police chief Chris Skinner told Waters, for years we've been sending cops to things we shouldn't be sending cops to, And he explained that Cahoots teams almost immediately de-escalate a situation when they respond. I'm pleased to have the co-founder of Cahoots with me, David Zeiss.
1: Welcome to the program. Thank you, Alan. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, I told you in the lead up that I actually was born in Eugene, but I only lived there for a short time. I left way before Cahoots came into existence. Tell us the basics of what Cahoots does? How does it operate? What does it do? And why is that so important?
1: Okay. Uh, Cahoots is a team of two people in a specially designed van, radio dispatched uh, through the uh, 911 center to anything that our dispatcher thinks is appropriate for us. And that's quite a range of things. Uh, Crisis intervention means, to me, means primarily counseling as an intervention immediately rather than waiting for an appointment. And when you're doing crisis intervention throughout the community, on the streets, in people's houses, you have to be prepared to deal with things that aren't exactly mental health and aren't exactly substance abuse issues, but are social service issues. Sometimes you have to sort out medical issues, get people connected to the right service to meet their particular needs. But doing everything with a the human services approach, a counseling or social work kind of approach, uh, the
0: origins of cahoots are pretty interesting. Tell us the creation story.
1: well, cahoots was started by Whitebird Clinic, which is a a hippie era free clinic in its origins created to serve the needs of what we could refer to as alienated youth, and many of us in the early days were exactly that that demographic. Whitebird has grown into to be quite a large, uh, health provider in Eugene, but, and some ups and downs, but always we've provided some kind of primary medical care and some kind of crisis intervention, mostly phone and walk-in in the, uh, Oh, I guess in the eighties, we began to think about how we could make crisis intervention more widely available because we believed it was a valuable service. And we, th- began thinking about the possibility of collaborating more closely with the police and with the 911 center to do a a, a, crisis, a mobile crisis intervention program that would be accessible through the 911 center. And in the late 80s, we found an opportunity when uh, the Eugene Police Department began thinking about ways that they could uh, ally themselves with social service providers. They found some funding to pay us to start a, a pilot program. And it's grown from there.
0: Now, disaffected youth, hippies, and police are not three phrases you usually hear in a sentence together about collaboration. So what did that uh, entail?
1: It's, uh, it's been an interesting relationship for a long time. Eugene is not your typical small city. Uh, it's a university town, and, and the, the university determines the character of municipal politics, and that created more willingness, the conditions of more willingness on the part of city government and the police to uh, form an alliance with Whitebird. And there was certainly some wariness on both sides of that partnership in the early years. And maybe to some extent, there still is. In the current political environment, where we start hearing slogans like defund the police, that's really a trigger uh that that doesn't sit well with most police officers or police administrators yet the kind of response that people who use that slogan are thinking about is something like cahoots so we're we're trying to um respond to that impulse uh without alienating anybody it's working in eugene at least
0: so let's go back to before the Defund the police movement and uh, the early years in healthcare. We always talk about funding, 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 funding. There's a long history of people in the healthcare sector saying we could do this less expensive intervention, but people only get paid for the more expensive intervention. Uh, now policing, of course, is outside of the healthcare sector, but moving resources between policing and Health services can't be simple. So, how how were the early years in terms of getting this uh, established?
1: The early years, we started out very small, operating only forty hours a week uh, with one team for the city of Eugene. We began a decades-long process of proving our value to the police, but also to the wider community, uh, until we uh, got to the point in Eugene that we were well enough known. That uh, we weren't just a little line item buried in the police budget, but we were something that the city council was discussing ways to increase funding for. And that again may have something to do with the politics of Eugene as a as a liberal and progressive community. That might not be exactly replicable in other communities. It, it's a it's a matter of finding the political opening, building alliances. And possibly starting very small and proving the value of the service to the wider community and to key stakeholders in the community over a possibly very long period of time, years or maybe even decades.
0: It also sounds like there's a conceptual shift that you're asking people to make. And maybe that's why you think it's unique to the culture and politics of Eugene or maybe harder to find in other small cities or cities at all. But you describe a a social model, a model that begins with problem solving as opposed to beginning with uh, what I guess most people would think of as the the public safety, the policing side of the equation. So how do you get people to think, maybe it's more common now, but I'm not so sure it was when you started. How do you get people to frame the problem to be solved here as a human counseling problem, not as a law and order problem?
1: I I think you're right that public attitudes have evolved a lot over the last 30 years or so. I think it's not rare these days for members of the public and for uh, major stakeholders and, and local political leaders to, to realize that that there are issues that the police are not the best response for and that there are other ways that are better for the community and possibly in some ways cheaper. Um, you know,
0: there's a lot of stigma around uh, people with significant mental illnesses. There's a lot of stigma around homelessness. It does seem when you tell a positive story about the potential for a better response to human concerns, there has to be some empathy that makes people believe that it's possible to do something other than a law and order approach. Do, do, have you felt in talking about and working with the program, uh, the, a sense of stigma around the population you're serving? Or do people think this is there here for people just like me?
1: Certainly, there's stigma against mental illness and substance abuse problems and homelessness. We've always aimed to make CAHOOTS program that isn't just for some stigmatized populations, but is for everybody. And we do do counseling interventions in prosperous homes in the South Hills. And we are fully available to that and, and, and like to think that we do it well. On the other hand, it's not necessary that the public who support funding for Cahoots or the politicians who support funding for Cahoots feel empathic towards the recipients of the service. Sometimes they just think of Cahoots as a way to get something they don't like out of sight for for less money. And we play both sides of that. If you want to do something to have less homeless people and less uh, drunks passed out in the street, we, here we are. If you want to help the poor and downtrodden, here we are.
0: Well, that's the reality of what it takes to build a coalition. Uh, I want to learn more about the scaling up and the spreading of this idea outside of Eugene. Um, We'll talk about that after we take a quick break.
1: Hey everyone, hope you're enjoying the show. We have exciting news for listeners of the Health Podcast. Our July issue of Health Affairs is dedicated exclusively to border health and immigration. You can order your copy now at healthaffairs.org or click the link in the show notes.
0: And we're back. I'm speaking with David Zeiss, co founder of CAHOOTS, a program that provides mobile crisis response in Eugene, Oregon. The growth there, as you noted, was slow and steady, but steady wins the race, and it certainly has in Eugene. CAHOOTS has been profiled in some national media. I suspect I'm not the first one to call upon you to ask you to describe the program. Talk to me, if you will, about what you've been involved in as folks call from other cities, other communities, to figure out whether they can adapt or adopt the CAHOOTS model where they are.
1: I retired at age 70, about seven years ago, and the idea was beginning to spread outside of Eugene just beginning when I started. Uh, When I left, we had received grant funding to expand into Springfield, which is just across the river, part of the same metro area. We had hired the staff, but weren't actually on the street yet. And we were just beginning to get a few inquiries from other cities. Uh, The first really serious one came from Olympia, Washington. Uh, The chief of police there, Ron Roberts, happened to have been a police officer in Eugene earlier in his career. When he was a lieutenant, he was the contract manager for Cahoots. So he carried the idea with him to Olympia. And in the last five years or so, the idea seems to be taking hold. It's certainly... Most of the expansion of cahoots has happened since I've left, even even just within Eugene and Springfield. We have penetrated somehow into the popular consciousness and the consciousness of decision makers uh, so that we're sort of a given. The spread of the idea beyond our local area is has been so startling that uh, Cahoots has had to add additional staff, like several additional staff, just to handle the inquiries. I mean, when I was operating Cahoots, it was the management team was me and a half-time office assistant. Uh, And now it's uh, uh, something like 10 people. I watch the process with delight, but I'm not hands-on with it anymore. As you watch, do you have a sense,
0: as other communities come to call, that they're different features, improvements, um, and you mentioned this, the politics of Eugene. Do you have a sense of the adaptations necessary to succeed in a place that maybe doesn't have the university culture?
1: There will be different adaptations in every community. Cahoots isn't something that can be just replicated cookie-cutter fashion in every community. It has to be designed uh, in each community, using the resources, the institutional resources in each community. As somebody who's spent my life working in the private nonprofit sector, I favor uh, relying on the private nonprofit sector in the community, local private nonprofits. Uh, But that's not the only way to go. Portland, Oregon, for example, which is several times the size of Eugene, is starting a program using uh, employees of city government. That isn't the way I would have gone, but it's a way that will probably work.
0: I'm really interested in scale. Here's a program that has sort of countercultural roots, and it it kind of becomes part of the system, but has an arm's length. And you've just described Portland really fully drawing the model into the system, if you will. And I just wonder if you trace the trajectory over decades, whether you feel that the coming in from the outside is a, is it critical in the long run? Is it critical at the starting point? Or is it just sort of what happened to work and maybe other
1: things could work as well? It's, it's what happened to work in Eugene. I'm, I, I would have some concern about starting a program that's part of local government that it might be co-opted into excessive bureaucracy and authoritarian attitudes that may prevail in, in government agencies. Uh, I, I like the idea of the counterbalance, the check and balance of having an independent organization seriously maintain the independence of the program. And that doesn't mean we're not part of the system. Coots is in Eugene is really part of the system. Everybody in law enforcement and fire and EMS and the uh, medical emergency system, the, the hospital emergency rooms, the alcohol and drug agencies, the mental health agencies, they all know cahoots and they all use cahoots. We are we are definitely part of the system. And it's a system with many independent actors who try to find ways to work together collaboratively. If I had to pick one thing for my career at Whitebird and coordinating cahoots that I was doing. It was building those relationships and alliances and um, being the, the, the troubleshooter who could work out the kinks in the collaborations and keep things working smoothly and keep us in alliance and not hostile to each other.
0: Yeah, as I listen to you, I'm thinking you need trust in the community and trust among the police, but you also need a can-do attitude to solve problems as it relates to both of those communities. And in essence, what I'm hearing is if you're too much of one or the other, it's hard to have the combination of trust and problem solving. And so your independence gave you an asset. Now, health fairs is a policy journal. We're a health policy journal. We're not primarily focused on corrections or public safety, but you describe the origins of cahoots as being about meeting the health and social needs of a population with a broad range of needs. CAHOOTS is definitely local in origin and in its presentation. Do you have a sense of a role for the state government or even the federal government in either supporting or not taking steps that would impede the success
1: of a program like CAHOOTS? The most crucial thing is funding. In most localities, finding money in the budget to support a new program is going to be a problem. And uh, state or federal funding, even if it's just for a few years for startup, could be crucial. It was federal funding coming through the state of Oregon that made possible our expansion into Springfield, which has now become so established that it's probably there to stay, even if the federal and state funding goes away.
0: Now you tell a sort of a humanitarian story here of meeting people's needs, but you also suggested that there's sort of a dollars and cents story here. So I completely get the notion that it's hard to find new money, but do you have data to show that the intervention by cahoots is somehow less expensive or leads to fewer downstream costs that might occur if someone interacted exclusively with the police?
1: Yes, with with some uh, caveats. Since we're dispatched through uh, a police agency, it's possible to determine what calls went to CAHOOTS that would otherwise have gone to the police. And it's possible to cost out a police intervention and a CAHOOTS intervention and see how much money was saved in that way. Uh, we can also give some kind of tentative estimates of the uh, number of cases that we are diverting from hospital emergency rooms or uh, other more costly interventions. To me, those statistics seem a little bit shakier uh, because uh, you're always imagining what would have happened if, if we hadn't been there, and you don't really know. But, but it, it is clear that we do keep a lot of mental health situations out of the hospital emergency rooms, which is really costly.
0: Yeah, well, as an empirical journal, of course, we're all obsessed with uh, methods, but it does sound like some uh, fairly straightforward analyses, even if they're not, as you say, sort of perfect in the sense of knowing what would have happened if the program hadn't been there. It does seem like some of that analysis could be very helpful. You've mentioned funding, always an issue. Is there anything else? Is there anything about, I don't know, structure or regulation or uh, privacy rules, any other sort of uh, policy or legal issues that you bumped into either in the early years or that you
1: hear about now? Okay. So uh, privacy is one. And that's actually was sort of worked out when we began. Uh, All the people don't think about it this way, maybe. The 911 system already was dealing with medical stuff through the, the, the ambulance system and already had systems in place to protect medical privacy in uh, ambulance services. And uh, crisis intervention can operate within those systems in the same way. Regulation, when we began, we were so new that nobody had thought of regulating us. And that's beginning to change in Oregon. And that's Probably a good thing that there be some regulation as we are going probably going to see a proliferation of small local crisis intervention services. It's sort of nice to not be regulated, but in the long run, uh, some level of of government's imposed standards is a good idea.
0: well, as we bring our conversation to a close, I want to ask a question, which is maybe a little bit odd, but
1: I have to assume
0: when you started this, you weren't looking 30 plus years ahead. You were just trying to solve a problem. I wonder if you could take yourself back to those early days. Did you have a vision for the future of Cahoots? Did you have a sense of it being a fundamental transformational change that could spread around the country? Or did it just sort of seem like the right thing to do at the time?
1: well both of those uh, our our vision my vision was not just cahoots, but it was it was tied up with the uh, whitebird clinic the parent organization as a model of a a staff run horizontally managed organization a, a horizontal workplace that still is a model that i value and am interested in seeing spread And also, I recognize that the the mobile crisis intervention model is separable from that and is beneficial even if it is separated from that.
0: Well, uh, it's been so interesting learning about this program. It's gratifying to me, so I certainly hope it's gratifying to you to realize that even though it may have been a few decades in coming, people do see the merit here, see a way to move resources from traditional policing activities to meeting people's health and social needs more directly with people trained to do so. David Zeiss, thank you so much for creating Cahoots and for spending some time talking about it with me on Health Policy.
1: Thanks. I'm glad to spend the time talking with you. And I don't want to take too much credit for creating Cahoots. I was just one of a team. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode,
0: I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Podacy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.